Hey, welcome to Writer's Blockbusters, the show where we treat the final edit of the movie like the script. I'm one of the hosts, Bob Rose. You can find me at Thundergrunt Bob on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. It's all the same. And now, one of the other guys is going to introduce themselves. I'm going to choose Jimmy. I am Jimmy George. I am a screenwriter and script consultant. My Twitter handle is at Jimmy R. George. Now, Hey there, I'm Jamie Nash, and I am a screenwriter and the writer of Save the Cat Race for TV and the Save the Cat Beat Sheet Workbook. You can find me on Twitter at Jamie underscore Nash. And today we're going to talk about a movie which apparently was a huge hit and which I'm going to make a hack joke about by pronouncing it as m 3 <laughs> <laughs> uh it megan right we're gonna we're gonna talk about megan uh before we get into the script we're gonna each go around the table and talk about our thoughts on this movie and to start let's start with jamie uh yeah so this is a movie that i didn't really care about too much but finally watched on the peacock (laughs) on the peacock and uh i you know it was better than i thought i i actually i watched it with my wife we both uh I, I didn't get bored and check out and, and look on my phone. So that's my review of it. That's and that's a good review these days because nine nine times that's out of ten. Twenty twenty three review right there. Nine times out of ten, like most movies I will <clears throat> check out and start um, you know, looking at my laptop. So I was curious about this one because it made so much money and it kind of made a stir. Uh so I was happy that I finally checked it out. Did you, <laughs> did you watch the uh rated or unrated? I watched the unrated version. Okay. I I do not like the censorship that goes in. No, I don't. I watched the true director's vision of Megan. <laughs> All right. Uh Jimmy. Um I so I've been I haven't been spending much time on social media these days. So I had heard from my wife that this movie was had like a whole like became like a cultural phenomenon with all its memes and its TikTok videos and all those types of things. And uh, so I came into this completely cold and like with no, you know, no discourse about it. And um, it was it came to my attention mainly because we had three listeners reach out and be like, hey, I loved Megan. Like, I'd really like if you did it. So it ended up being like, well, that's one that maybe we should do. And then it's got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. You, and like, you what suggested does... this. You I did. suggested this. Like, suggested so just the heads up. Without seeing it, <laughs> I suggested this. And it's not like Rotten Tomatoes like really holds any weight as far as like the quality of a film. But it had a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. So between that, the huge discourse, uh, the the you know the listeners reaching out the the 93 i was ready i was like this is gonna be fucking awesome that was like the only expectations i brought in uh in contrast to jamie which i like that we disagree like i like that this is gonna be fun i i am gonna say this is one of the worst scripts that we've talked about in 93 episodes there's only like six episodes of the show that where we go negative, and uh, I'm personally gonna go pretty hard on this. I don't take pleasure in doing that. Um, to but yeah, uh, I hated this movie. Uh, I yelled at the screen twice in frustration watching this movie. Now I will say everything as 
far as Megan goes, the robot and the killer robot content, I loved. But that's not the whole movie. You know, that's just a part We're a script of the podcast, movie. right? We're a script podcast, right? And so, like, I totally was watching it and understanding why people enjoyed it. And I could see why, like, her dancing would become, like, a you know, a viral moment. And just I I while I was watching it, I totally got why people dug it. Um, but I didn't because for all the other reasons that I'm going to argue. Uh, That's it's because you watch the unrated. If you watch the rated <laughs> way better editing. Much better. Better. Yeah. And I did watch it. I did watch it. twice. <laughs> I did watch it twice yesterday to try to see if my second experience uh, would would be more enjoyable and I would have been like, well, maybe I was just in a bad mood, but I actually hated it more the second time than the mm. first time. So yeah. Spicy. Spicy. Right. Hate um, it. I, I guess I'm somewhere. I'm not, I don't hate, it. I don't have any passion for it. <laughs> so my review is I'm dispassionate about it, but I totally see how it's like, you know, like the script doesn't matter sort of like mm-hmm. in, in, the, in it's, I could see like a pack theater on a Friday night absolutely digging this movie like you know what i mean like it seems yeah. like a total theater experience movie and i can see how it's fun it's kind of campy i think there's some you know much like bar it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of our discussion on barbarian and tone like there's tone here that i think it's it's like campy but it's you know like we have to approach it without that it's kind of mm-hmm. you know what i mean like like but it's <laughs> but it's kind of like a bad movie with a budget in in, in, in a sense <laughs> But Megan's great. I can see why, but she is better than the entire enterprise. Her Twitter account is better than the movie. Like her, her like tweeting with Chucky is better. I had more entertainment from that than I got from watching the movie twice. Do I like this movie? It's it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So, Jamie's the one who likes it the most. Out. I Jamie, love it. So ja- yeah, we have the I'm, rare case where Jamie. Has I'm looking the most for the forward to the cinematic franchise that is megan i honestly think sequels would be way better oh yeah totally like because the to me the 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 problem i think jimmy will we will talk about it it's the humans and i think Mm -hmm. that with sequels we'll get rid of those humans and get new humans and then it's like yeah it's yeah way better yeah (laughs) miles dyson uh dealing with a a toy version of the terminator is not the best first movie for this i don't think but anyway i almost like, compared it to frankenstein you know <laughs> yeah like, like frankenstein's yeah. monster and everything except um, if the doctor didn't give a shit about the create i mean the monster right. he it's hard <laughs> if, it's, he, if he created frankenstein to babysit or new kid or whatever it's so hard not to be like an internet person and nitpick this movie you know it's so hard not to be just like what the fuck was this about but we're not going to do that i'm gonna hold yeah we'll hold we'll we might do that a little bit later but we're gonna hold that for right now because because jamie i need to know who wrote this shit who wrote it who wrote it so I, it's it's funny because I'm looking at IMDb and it has James Wan as as writing it, but I, I guess maybe a story by or something I there. Think it's a story by, yeah, yeah. So uh, Akila Cooper is her name, and what has Akila Cooper done? Akila Cooper has sorry. malignant. Malignant is the big thing, but I know there's a lot of TV in there too, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I love the, I love malignant. So. Yeah. So so some of the things uh that I see oops, sorry. Okay. Megan, uh Star Trek Strange New Worlds. Is that I think that's an 
Eduardo, TV show. Eduardo Sanchez directed episode. Yeah, guest, maybe o- our only guest of the show. Only our guest. Only, yeah. only guest ever. Uh, Malignant. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy, which I'm not familiar with, tel- television series. Chambers, Avengers Assemble, which looks like an animated thing, I guess. Hellfest, which I think I saw. I've seen Hellfest. Ago. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I have not seen Hellfest. Luke Cage. Uh, she she was a writer on Luke Cage, American Horror Story, The 100, Witches of East End, Grimm, and Tron Uprising. So some good animation. Good for her. Yeah, lots of good stuff in there. Um, and apparently, you know, of course, she'd be in the James Wanniverse with Malignant. Uh, certainly somebody that would be taking meetings and stuff like that. And it was interesting. I, I did want to mention super quick, like I saw some interviews about this movie and apparently she was taking meetings with <clears throat> James Wan. And it's, it, I, I thought it'd be instructive to talk about those kind of meetings that you go to. Cause I actually had a meeting with atomic monster once I, I sat there and it's James is not there when you, when you go to the meeting, it's usually a development exec. I think they've had the same development exec for like the last 15 years or something the, the main person mm-hmm. and uh you usually sit across from them and they have read a script of yours in uh in in this case you know maybe they were already working on malignant maybe they were going to lunch and taking notes or who knows mm-hmm. what, what was going on but you usually sit across from them and usually have a meeting where they ask you what you're working on and then you ask them you know is there anything you're working on that you'd like to hear a take from and they might say something like, well, we have this idea about a killer robot doll. Um, then we're looking for some takes on it if you're interested. And then you go off and think about your take on the killer robot doll and you come back in and you pitch it. Um, and apparently that's what happened in this case. <clears throat> so uh, if you, you know, her interviews kind of said they had the, they had the robot doll. Um, they kind of called it, Chopping mall meets child's play or something like that was kind of the pitch. Um, it, it even sounded like maybe they I, I don't know if they were settled on the queen so maybe or, they maybe that's the sequel in a mall. It, yeah. it could be in a mall, it makes sense. <laughs> that sounds so, great, honestly. <laughs> um, so she, um, her big take on it, and I think this is instructive because this is honestly how you land these pitches. So she kind of came in and, and I think they might have already had the it, it was a little vague in the in the article whether they had the the dying parents kind of storyline, mm-hmm. you know. So the way she came in and pitched it was she made it personal to her and she doesn't have kids. And she said, Okay, well, I'd like to write she basically has said, Well, if I wrote it about myself, what would it be about? An aunt, it be, right? Yeah. And it would be like, I'm somebody that that has no business raising kids. I'm not ready to raise kids. And what would be that storyline? So, you know, cause you could basically predict this movie out. There's not a lot of unpredictableness in this movie. Even when I watched it, I mean, I could write out the beats um, in about 10 seconds of this movie. You know what I would imagine they'd be. <laughs> so the key to pitching sometimes, especially when they have IP or when, or when, you know, you have this big director who's already kind of come up with the high level storyline. Sometimes it really is just about injecting yourself into it. Like, like what's my way in? What would my story be about this? Um, how do I pitch that? And if somehow that, that strikes them as commercial, then you'll be the person to write it. Cause it's, it's really your story that you're injecting inside of it. So, um, so anyway, I, I think that that's sort of instructive because that's how yeah. a lot of these, 
a lot of these movies come to be is they're not original specs anymore. I mean, they haven't really been for a while. And sometimes this is totally the type of movie that could easily be an original spec for sure. Mm-hmm. But a lot, of, a lot of times they're just ideas like we always wanted to make a killer robot movie or, you know, something like that with a, with a robot toy. That's kind of like a doll. It, I think they said an American girl doll from hell was kind yep, of, the that's what she looks like. Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and what would that be? And, um, and a lot of times they have that part already and they just need you to come in and kind of pitch them a personal version that they feel like, you know, you would bring authenticity to. So anyway, I thought that was inspiring. That's great. No, that's great. Thanks, Jim. For perspective. Yes. Uh, by the way, uh, box office on this bad boy. Yep. Uh, that's what I was about to ask. <laughs> it's it's a, it's right now at 172.9 million worldwide, about 90 something plus change uh in the u.s what was the budget 12 million which is kind of high but i think i think the blumhouse model that used to be 5 million has trended towards like 10 or 12 lately like i it's pretty good so yeah yeah yeah, like like those movies like if you remember on our first podcast get out that was one that was 5 million that was the number that that was their magic number they never made a movie over five I bet you if you look at the last few Blumhouse movies, they're all like 10, 12 million. They're kind of B-level, B-level movies. And then we talked about Nope, I think was big. Like that was like a 70 million. That was like 70. Yeah. 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 Um, that, that was Blumhouse? That Well, that was uh, uh, Jordan Peele is just it right. connected. That's to- true. Yeah. I, I guess, say, guess maybe not, I guess Blumhouse, maybe that though, wasn't right? a Blumhouse movie. My bad. Bl- Bl- but it was, it was his first non Blumhouse movie, okay, and I think so it was because was, of the budget. I was I wasn't I, criticizing. I was asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was I, wrong. I, I'm glad. Yeah. So but I brought. He was making I, it for a, I think Universal, right? It's a Universal yeah. movie. Yeah. Now Atomic Monster does because like their Conjuring franchise and stuff like that has trended upwards as right, far right. as budget goes. You know, as sequels go, they tend to trend upwards. No, they do. Oh. But I mean, they kind of dominate the horror space, though. They do. They do. So, um, um, it, it's really like, I, I know when I go out for meetings or when they send my scripts out, it's like Blumhouse gets one, Atomic Monster, Platinum Dunes still is kind of hanging around. They get they that. Get and then there's some other, the other ones are less like specific, like Screen Gems. And, you know, you'll get maybe Ghost House, Sam Raimi's company and stuff like that. But the, I'd always say the top two are always Atomic Monster and Blumhouse almost always get something. Um it's because like A24 isn't really a producer. So, you know, they're more like you bring your package to them or something like that. Ah, gotcha. Right. gotcha. So it's always like a weird, weird mix of those things. Um, by the way, movies this year, the top five movies this year, which is it's so weird to say. I, I love how much you love the list of top movies. Me too. <laughs> Jamie's is like, this is like I, show premise delivery yeah, right yeah. here. I, I, I think I like, uh, this one appeals to me because it's just so lame so far. It's just like, you know, it, it doesn't really matter anymore. It's like this list doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Um. So Avatar, Way of the Water, of course, that's going to be number one. Yeah. Right. And that's split across this year and last year anyway. Yeah. So number two is Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's at one hundred and seventy two million dollars. Global no. or, or domestic? Uh, what is this? It it's is domestic. Be domestic. It's yeah. domestic. It's yeah. domestic. Yeah, I'm looking at domestic box office here. Um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish is 118 million. That's third place. Love Puss in and Boots. Th- and then number four, Megan, 94 million. Wow, number four. So this is yeah. top five so far. Top five so far. Yeah. And then you have 
A Man Called Otto has number five at 62. So there's a pretty big wow. drop off. After that was Megan. in theaters? It was. It was. Yeah. I, mean, I didn't even know that. Me neither. I thought that was like an Apple movie. Me too. <laughs> Jesus. I, I, no, it hasn't even come out on streaming yet. It's pay okay. for streaming. It's still pay for streaming. Um, because it's it's it was supposedly like an Oscar contender. I, I don't think it's getting any nominations, but th- there was hope. Um, eighty for Brady, uh, Jimmy's favorite movie. Uh, that, <laughs> Hell yeah, thirty-seven million. Knock at the cabin, thirty-four million. Plane, thirty-two million. Missing, thirty-one million. And Cocaine Bear is right now twenty-eight million. There you go. That that'll go up. That'll that will go, that'll up go for up. sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> It's a good bit of horror in there for January, yeah, right? I know. Um, but yeah, with horror, getting back to M Thregan. Um M Thregan. <laughs> let's let's talk about the the cold open of this movie, the horror cold open. Yeah. So so one thing I've you know, I've been kind of cataloging and I'd almost wanted to pitch this to you is um all horror, almost all horror movies, not all, but almost all horror movies start with some kind of cold open teaser. Right. Um, I, I'd say 90% of them. There is a 10% that are much slower builds that you might just start like an ordinary movie and then it takes a sudden left turn. Uh, was Barbarian, did that have a, I can't remember, did that have a cold open? Uh, I don't it, think so. Yeah, it starts that, with her showing up at the Airbnb. Another so. unconventional. Unless you consider another- that a horror scene which it can yeah. be sort yeah of, but well yeah i mean not in the it, way you're talking right? but yeah not not like in the sudden kind of cold open twist kind of thing like yeah so, so the a, ones that, not a time jump like you're talking about right, right? Or, or even ones like i'm talking about like jaws uh, mm-hmm. would be a good example that's a fantastic um, that's, yes, gold perfect. standard that's that's like or scream you know has, yep. has that cold open 10 minute cold or, open. or i think of every buffy episode every it would start a horror cold open so so I started to kind of think about, and I, I came up with three and maybe there's more. So I, I, this is almost like I started to come up with the list of types of cold opens. Um, there's one that I call the prelude uh, open, the prelude heart. And this mm-hmm. might be one that happened 50 years ago or something like that. It could have just happened two months ago. And it's kind of like, it, it, it literally is just the same thing happening beforehand. Um, or, or it could be the origin. Uh, can teaser. we get, can we give examples? Absolutely. Ernest Go scared stupid. Ernest scared stupid was the first one that came to mind. <laughs> Are you serious? No, no. I don't think I've even it's seen it's Ernest the first one that came stupid. to mind. mind. Because um, it starts out with the origin of the of Transor, the troll. Jimmy, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I. I've heard many good I things got about Ernest. Ernest scared stupid t-shirt, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard a lot of good things about it. Freight Rags had a really cool Ernest shirt. Did you? Yeah, that's that that's the one. That's yeah, a that's Halloween movie, cool. man. Very relevant to screenwriting. <laughs> um we could do an Ernest movie one time. I'm just saying. Hell yeah. <laughs> so so the prelude to horror could be anything from uh like like I said, the origin. It could be like Hellraiser. Uh yeah, Hellraiser has a right. good prelude. Um I'm trying to think of other ones that might show like the origin of the of the beast or something like that but a lot of them are are prelude i mean you could consider things. the jurassic park sort of like oh the, absolutely yep. the opening kind of cold the open raptor the yeah. raptor that yeah. yeah yeah we yeah. talked about in that episode how so much of it is basically a horror movie um yeah, yeah. yeah. that's two spielbergs so, right there right? <laughs> yeah. 
So there's one that I, I haven't quite cataloged and I'll, I'll bring that one up third, but so the second one is, is the one we usually see it's the jaws. And I think this one is just introduce the horror. So we just start with the horror. Yeah. The horror is kind of in motion. It might be like Michael Myers is killing somebody already or something. Not that I don't think. Any oh, maybe Myers that's Jurassic thing. park then. Um, yeah. yeah, it's kind of like the horror is already there and it's already active and it's okay. not really okay. a prelude. It's more something else. Like, like another example, I have a prelude. I just watched We Have a Ghost last night on Netflix, and that's kind of a prelude. It's like the previous family in the haunted house, mm-hmm. and it just shows a scene where they have to get out. So it's kind of like a prelude. It's like a story happening before the story almost is the way I see it with the horror. And again, sometimes that can be an origin. So Introduce the Horror is the one I see most in scripts. Um, a lot of the scripts I read, are ones that start out with like a super quick, almost hard to hard to understand what's going on. Ghostbusters <laughs> in the library? Absolutely. Would Absolutely. that count? I yeah. think so. Absolutely. Okay. So, I'm trying I to think, think so. of movies we've done on the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think to an extent, Get Out could be considered. Yeah, There's definitely. the cold open. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Very much so. And so, so anyway, there, that one's probably the most popular. And I do have some instructional things. Like I think with the introduce the horror, you're and Jimmy, you can weigh in on this. I think where it goes off the rails when it when it's more than five pages long, mm-hmm. um, I I think three pages or less is the mm-hmm. is the sweet spot. Like at three and a half is okay, maybe four is pushing it. But once you're into five, six, seven pages, um, yeah, the it, exceptions are like scream, right? That's like eleven pages, but that is it's a it's, it's great. A, it's it's great. a whole it's, other thing. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like how Raiders of the Lost Ark is an exception to the mini movie. Yeah. yeah. Scream's also meta commentary too. Yeah. So it kind of helps yeah. along. But it, I didn't mean to undercut what you just said, Jamie. I just, not, uh, not at all. I yeah. think Scream is is an example that somebody would point to and say, Well, what about Scream? And I think I think it's a good example. But I do think it's the exception, not the two one. to three pages. Yes. If you two honestly, if you can nail it in one, like I, the single only, page ending. <laughs> my, my only problem with one is I find a lot of scripts that do it in one and it's not good. It's like <laughs> someone's running through the woods, running through the woods and axe hits them in the head. Cut. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I get that. I like I always feel tell a little story, like mm. turn it into a short film a little bit. Like, give me a. Like somebody's running, 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 and it turns out they're the killer or something, or they turn into a werewolf or do you surprise me or do something. Um, I can't tell you how many scripts I read that it's very ambiguous what that first mm-hmm. two minutes is, or one minute is. Mm-hmm. And it it's just kind of like, yeah, okay. It's not getting me excited. It's just somebody got So you think you there. need a, a little extra minute to like, romance it. Jamie, it's, you don't want it to look like it's an editing thing. Like they just edited another thing in the movie to the front. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot which of, happens. It totally it does. Happens. Yeah, totally. yeah, it does. And, but a lot of the screenplays I read, I'm, I'm I always give that note, and I get like their scenes just fine the way it is. But it literally is just somebody running, and then they get hit with an axe. And I'm like, okay, well that's cool and yeah. all, but give me, you know, this is your first page. Give me something good. You then know, have them me... pull the axe out and be like, is this all you got? And then it. Yeah, ex- <laughs> like, exactly. Here comes exactly. another page. Yeah. Right, right, right. yeah. With, yeah. I, yes, that's and good. That, and that's why I think you need two pages. And it's hard to do that in one page, though sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. Um, and then uh, the the last one is what I think this one is. And I see this one more and more. I, I think um, Midsommar had this. 
Um, there's a bunch of them I, I see that has this, but, but it's called the horror. I call it the horror before the horror. So it's a horror scene, but it has nothing to do with the horror that you're presenting in the movie mm-hmm. right. per se, like the killer's not involved or anything like that. Um, and that, and that's, I, I see, I've been seeing this one more and more lately. The I'm not a fan me. of it. <laughs> you could, you could loosely, and I, guys, I'm not really doing this. You could loosely argue that the AI of the older version of the toy is why they stopped the car. <laughs> they were arguing <laughs> over her using it and that caused the accident. So, but the thing is, I, I know that I know it's loose, but I'm here. Just I go being nitpicky as fuck already, but here we go. Okay. Like to your point, Jamie. Uh, did, did are do you have more to say before I like say say anything about this no, cold open? No, the only thing I will say is I've seen the car crash as the horror before the horror many times, and I've mm-hmm. written it not so not so long ago, like two years ago. I I had the exact same scene as this movie, pretty much. It's it's ever since we saw that the car coming in the window that they don't see, you know, that, that gag that we see yeah, all the time trope now. Um, yeah. Yeah. And now they're finding new ways. Like this was the snow and the headlights. Did you guys see Shazam? It starts with the car. Crash yeah. And everything. yeah. 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 The, car, the car crash has become almost like my skip breakfast thing. Uh, you know? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I just see it a lot. I see the car. My crash theory is it's, and not, you're saying, it's, it's not depressing for the audience. So they stick to that. Cause it's like prevalent. It's not. To, it's like nobody died of cancer or anything. Cause you don't want people mm-hmm. to think of cancer. You know? I I think like it's. A, I I also think it is a horror beat. It's a horror. It's beat. a horror beat too. It's my bad. wife. My wife jumps at these. It works every time. Like like she because I you know she probably is scared of car crashes like we all are, and every time it works every single time on her. Right. Like even to the point where she's like a car is about to hit them, and she knows it's coming and it happens. Ah, and you know it, she cringes at the sight of it. So. It's effective. I can think of so many movies that have it. Like off the top of my head, um, gosh, what was the one with Shia LaBeouf? Though it was Rear Window. Uh, what was that? What was that? Oh, Eli. No, 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 no. The one that was Disturbia. Really oh, oh, Disturbia. 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 Right. Like I think that starts with a car crash. <laughs> the one where it's all um, about an iPod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The the descent doesn't that start with a car crash or something? Mm-hmm. Yes, like that, the descent totally um, does. Yeah. There, does. There's a lot of car the horror crash. before the horror. The horror before the horror. But anyway, Jimmy, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, no. I I invited you to continue finish your thought because I don't want to be a dick oh, and not let you talk. You didn't want to open the, Pandora's box yet. <laughs> and, and the, by the way, the one other one that I see is Poltergeist. I'm not exactly sure what to label it, but it's almost like the beginning of the horror. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, um, they're here, you know, it's like, it's almost like the catalyst for the movie. Yes. They're here. Yeah. So, so it's, that's not the origin. That's like its own thing. So, so you, right. Right. Yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not like the birth of the poltergeist, but it's the first inkling of, of it coming into the family's life. So it's, gotcha. it's something else. A cup moves or something like that, you know? Ah, yeah. The, uh, J- so Jamie, the, you want to wrap up those? You want to like recap those four types, and then yeah. I'll yeah, sure thing. Go into the so, cold. So open. The, the ones I came up with are prelude or origin um, horror. Um, inter- introduce the horror or first taste of the horror. I'm kind of giving them two names because I'm workshopping, so I'm yeah. figuring them out. We're I would go with origin out. for the first one. It's origin, confusing. Uh, yeah. Okay, the horror before the horror, which is the one in this one, and then um, 
the the other one i think is the inciting incident horror beat is kind that's of that's a good way to describe yes. it yeah right. sometimes the first scene like jaws is the inciting incident yeah. like it starts so it, with the kill right. the, the whole movie is a response to the that her body yeah yeah so my complaint with this one bob it's 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 interesting because like my my brain was going like oh like this is what they're trying to do like they're arguing over the device and they get into a car crash but the thing is my problem with it is as far as like stakes and horror threats like jamie saying the horror before the horror like it's pretty clear that like they were gonna crash no matter what like they can't see anything they don't have snow tires the argument is irrelevant like they're not going to survive no matter what so i feel like the argument and the <laughs> tech has nothing to do it's not the cause so it's Jim, like jimmy the tech made them stop if the tech didn't if that tech doll didn't exist they would have been at full speed full speed dry, yeah. the girl would have probably died too if yeah the, if the, they didn't argue over the tech thing no. i was just saying i think the people that wrote the movie think that they were doing that right and they're and, not and, doing it like it's not about the tech yeah so right, right off the bat bob you right. are speaking to my issues with this movie which right. is idea versus execution they write this on paper the husband and wife argue over the daughter's use of the device and car and and it causes a car crash. But the execution doesn't feel that way. It just feels like they were going to die no matter. What. No, the, the execution. I mean, I look, we're, we're trying not to rewrite movies or remake movies. But for me, I don't understand why it wasn't just they slide. They're in the snow. Why mm-hmm. don't they slide off the road while they're arguing about the thing? And then I would, it would be more expensive. And, Right, but you know what I mean? Like, then it wouldn't be a car crashing into the front of them. (laughs) They would have always crashed into the front of them. No matter what. No matter what. And also, I still question why that girl is completely okay. No, (laughs) I don't don't question that, but... I do. They got her all bloody, man. They got got hit by a Mack truck at full speed. (laughs) I don't know, Bob doesn't believe it from the start. (laughs) I found that a bit unbelievable, but it's fine. She was no, wearing a seatbelt. I get it. I get it. But 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 like when I left that scene, I was like, oh, shit, like they were going to die no matter what. Like, I don't understand why that needed to be that way. Like, that's not even really what the movie is about. Do to your, to your point, Jamie. Right? I, I think what they were doing in that scene um, was really exposition dump. Mm-hmm. I think yep. I don't I don't yeah. know that it needed an exposition dump because who cares? No, we'll it didn't. Out. Two it seconds did. later, we'll find out that the lady makes toys or whatever. But for whatever reason, they decided to be like, oh, your aunt gave you that and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And this, you know, and I was like, yeah, I think they also wanted you to know that the girl gets attached to her toys, mm-hmm. which that's, it does. That's very it's effective. That that's way. effective. Yeah. That yeah. Way. But it's weird because it's like I would say like and this is I'm going to bring this up later when we get when I want to I want to bring up I'm going to bring up the sin it's not on the talking points but it's on my 13 reasons talking point mm-hmm. uh the sin is is messy but if it's pointing to one thing it's allowing your kids to, to using a device to to neglecting your kids with a device instead of paying attention to them but the debate that the parents are having is in favor of taking the device away which means they're doing the right thing 
they're they're speaking to the theme so they're cinematically killing them makes no sense like it doesn't translate the theme it translate that oh if they had just they're, they're left sh- her they're sh- on they're her shaggy device. and scooby they're yeah. like you shouldn't go into the house and they were right the whole time yeah but right. then they die if shaggy yeah. and scooby died that wouldn't be so it like right. it's it, it, it can't the what the scene seems to be saying and i'm being an english instructor as i as i will speak to later which is i'm finding something where there's nothing there um uh that they aren't trying to say anything in that scene. But the way it, for me, it translated it was like, they're sort of, they should be the ones that survive. <laughs> Cause they're like, we should get her off the device. And then they die. Like <laughs> anyway. I, also, I like, I, before we leave cold opens, I just want to yeah. say like, tonally speaking, cause I think this movie has a problem with tone mm-hmm. uh, a lot. Like the movie really does. It, op- it actually opens up with a, a comedy commercial. Mm-hmm. Which satirical is a satirical comedy commercial which is honestly maybe my favorite part of the movie yeah it opens Easy. like robocop it, it opens like robocop or tropic thunder like mm-hmm. it literally opens with that and then it, it does it feels disingenuous to go into this almost yeah and i also i also question that that might have been enough that comedy commercial mm-hmm. might have been enough if you if you just wrote it a little bit different mm-hmm. and like we just show the girl's parents did die. We don't need to actually see it. I think right. it's going to work like that. Yeah. And just know that she lives in a world with these pets, you know, but you can feel sort of the, you can feel the studio notes, right? Like we need a, right, we need right. a horror thing up front. We let's do, put it with the test audience, you know, to your point, Bob, you mentioned something. I actually know two different filmmakers who have made a movie. And then after it's done, the producers, hired someone else to put a cold open in like an additional cold open. Right, and they right. didn't even have any creative input into that cold open. And there's no mention of the other director on there. So there's this scene that's stylistically different and doesn't feel like the same thing, but it's a, it's a cold open horror movie because the producers were like, we got to put something up front and there's not enough up front here. And I feel like that this is feels like this. Cause, yeah. Cause there's like, there's this through line through the movie that is like really mean and cynical towards children. Like, <laughs> like I would say, I would point to the part with the cop basically laughing about how the kid died. Do you remember that part? Yes. Like, the cop literally laughed. He's his like, oh, ear. Sorry. We found his ear. Exactly. Right. And th- I think there's that he's vibe. Like, and then he's the like, movie. I don't mean to laugh, but it's funny. There's that vibe <laughs> through the whole movie. And this cold open does not feel like that vibe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good all. point. It's a, it, Yeah. I never really thought about the tonal part being a problem. But anyway, yeah, uh, yeah I'm I, I, I'm opening Pandora's box. <laughs> no, no, I <laughs> it's do, OK. I do think strangely for me, that's why this movie gets a pass in some of these places because of the com- it, i like the comedy i should yeah, say and, that yeah and i and, like the comedy too and, yeah in, in those same interviews with akila uh, they said they got her because she brought the comedy to the concept like so her intent was to kind of do a kind of goofier you know mm-hmm. tongue-in-cheek sort of horror you know and uh, to bob's point it this feels like the kind of movies i watched when I was a kid back in the 80s, mm-hmm. except it has a much bigger budget mm-hmm. and it's coming out in a lot more screens. And for that reason, it doesn't quite feel like the, you know, two million dollar schlock fest I watched. <laughs> it, it's like you. Um, I almost wish they cared less about it 
being a real horror movie and just had way more fun. It's, it's trying it to have fun. it a little bit both ways. It's yeah, trying to yeah. eat its cake. I, yeah, have its cake. I wish it went more. 100%. If, it, if it went that much more insane, I wouldn't care about all of the problems we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it was just nuts. It's, you, it's know? This, you know, it's the writer that did Malignant, which kind of had it, it, it skewed in the in the other direction. Yeah, right. So right. much so to, that it kind of confused some of the people that watched it. Mm-hmm. They were trying to watch sure. it in a different way. So yeah, it, and, angered, but, it angered them and thinking this is bad, but actually it's just trying to be nuts. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple quotes I took from one of those interviews, Jamie, from Akila. Um, when I have some of the problems that come up. And the quotes sort of speak to why they exist um, yeah. and 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 but it being intentional anyway. Um, yeah, it, we'll get there. We'll get there. It's, it's always a dangerous thing to try to be like, you know, we come from a world of, you know, schlock horror filmmaking. And there's a whole notion of people kind of in t- so bad it's good, but trying to be that way. And that no, that, yeah. that's always a very slippery slope yeah i hate that <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a really weird kind of thing trying to be there's a difference between trying to be bad and trying to be funny well mm-hmm. i think but yeah yeah and I, I don't think even some of the people that say trying to be bad would say that's what they're trying to do but they're trying to be funny in a way that they see certain movies do and it's a difficult thing sometimes to pull off yeah, right tightrope yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it really is yeah yeah but uh like okay talking about what kind of movies this reminds us of uh you wanted to talk about urban thrillers and the yeah yeah so uh, when i was watching this movie because i was thinking monster in the house and we we've talked about some things of monster in the house before monster in the house being the blake snyder genre idea blake snyder has a set of these genres that are kind of story patterns people use one of which we talk about all the time it's just monster in the house monster in the house i didn't mean to go into this but i just feel like (laughs) They Monst- love it, Jamie. Keep going. Yeah, Monster- yeah we pulled the string, and here goes Jamie. Mm-hmm. Monster that has <laughs> three elements. It has it has a uh, a monster uh, that uh, it could be a, a human or a real monster, supernatural, or even an animal or something like that. Um, and then it has a house they're trapped in, and basically the trap. Like why? What? What are they trapped with this creature, and what? What's circling around them? Why is there a trap? And then there's usually a sin that brings about the monster in some way. Um, here's the one thing, though, I always I always point out, like we've talked about this on a couple other podcasts, so I can't remember which exact ones. But this feels like a monster announced movie. Blake Snyder says Fatal Attraction and, you know, some other movies are um, monster announced. But in this one, I don't think there's a trap. They could shut her off at any time. They could send her away at any time. They could recycle her at any time. She lives it, with her creator. It, yeah, it doesn't right. really become a um, a survival movie to much toward the end. And what what that reminds me of is movies like Hand Hand That Rocks the Cradle, um, because movies like Hand That Rocks the Cradle or Single White Female is another one that I think of from, from back in the day. Um, it's ones where they kind of invite someone in. And there's a, kind of another story going on while that thing is really just part of the family. And we as the we as the audience see all the red flags and see the mm-hmm. things getting more and Ms. more. Doubtfire. And and we're rooting <laughs> <Yeah>. for <laughs> No, we're, it, that's a great, works. That's a great point, Jamie, because one of my later notes, and I will revisit it, okay. one of my problems with this movie is that we spend so much like 
there's only 20 minutes of this movie and it's interspersed where Gemma knows as much as we do. She is in, we are in the superior position of the threat against her world. And she only like, she figures it out at 65 minutes. And then for only 17 minutes, is she actually scared of Megan? And then she abandons fearing Megan again for another 10 minutes. So there's most of the movie we're like rooting for her to catch up and be afraid. And in your typical monster in the house, the the main characters, the final woman, you know, uh, is aware of the horror threat from the lock in on and working to survive the horror threat. And here we have a story like Hand the Rocks, the Cradle, like the, the you know, those urban thrillers you're talking about where most of the time the character is unaware to their detriment and that's like part of the ingredient of that mm-hmm. experience yes. that's very interesting that you point that out yeah yeah it's and i i think the difference is uh, honestly with this and maybe a small failing is in those movies usually you have the character starting to see the red flags in the fun and game section, mm-hmm. <laughs> they start right. seeing them and they right. start getting worried. And then midpoint, it usually takes a turn where the where the villain or whatever, the monster is actively, you know, doing stuff to shut the hero down. Where in this one, I think they push it almost all the way out to the all was lost section. It, it's they like, do. It's, it's like shifted where fun and games, there's no worry. There's no red flags that the hero perceives mm-hmm. midpoint, they might start being small or somebody might start pointing out, you know, it's not a good idea to have your kid raised by, you know, this thing or whatever. They might start pointing little things out that she starts acknowledging, but it's not really until that back half of the movie mm-hmm. that she even clocks one or two of these. Movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I can't, I, I thought I had it, but I'm pretty sure it's around 60 minutes. Cause 65 is when she finally looks up the, the 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 files on the computer 65 minutes where she looks up megan's files um but the cop comes to the door and he's the one who has to like make the connection for her and say oh this we just got news that this is the second body that you've been connected to in like 48 hours and and Gemma is like what like it never occurred to her she's that yeah, no, I, I, I unintelligent. I don't want to skip ahead at all, but like, yeah. So, the, but that's to your point, Jamie. Like, there, that's so late. Yeah. Well, one one other thing though, there are some spots. Like, for example, sorry, Bob, I didn't. No, it's fine. I, I'm trying to decide when I want to say things now. Yeah. What this movie is ah. when Megan when Megan brings up the thing about learning about death. That's a red flag that many movies the hero would kind of clock and be like, oh, that's weird. That's where she wouldn't. Yeah. And this one, they just kind of say, Megan, forget about that. Moving on. You know, and it's like she kind of does forget about it. <laughs> like, she doesn't you're... behave like a human. She yeah. doesn't. It's at the at the expect. So so in order for the story to keep doing what the beat sheet needs it to do, uh, Gemma needs to not behave like a human. And that's like my <laughs> like any human can I, hearing can, that. Can I refine that more, though? Yeah. Sure. It's not that she doesn't act like a human it's that gamma doesn't act like somebody who made a fully functioning android mm-hmm. robot 
Like she should be able, like the audience. Well, see, I'm. I think we're saying the same thing. Like I'm saying, knowing what you she, just said, a I human know, being she, would go, "Oh shit!" But it's I. I could, as an audience member, I could believe a normal person wouldn't recognize an android starting to become sentient or evil or something. But Gemma created and wrote the pro. Jamie, you're a computer programmer. She wrote the programming for this robot and put it together herself. <laughs> For the audience, for me, yeah. I'm like, are you not recognizing the thing that you <laughs> built is breaking? Like, like in in her defense, in her defense, yeah, yeah, as yeah. a computer programmer, yeah, as, as a, a computer programmer, I can see like thinking we're way ahead of the curve. But you know what I mean? Right. Like, right. Oh yeah, that does that. But you know that. Don't worry about that. I, <laughs> I I could kind of understand that. I do think Gemma is kind of an obsessed sociopath in some ways or something it is yeah so 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 let me let me rephrase it she she behaves like a human she just behaves like a sociopath Sociopath. yeah (laughs) yeah there is something definitely odd about her that she doesn't seem to have a lot of clue honestly dude this will come up later i kept i swear i kept waiting for a twist reveal she was so similar to her character and get out I kept waiting for a twist reveal that she had that snowplow kill her sister so that she could adopt the the kid so she could test the doll on the kid and that this whole thing was her grandmaster plan the whole time, including killing her sister. We're not supposed to to rewrite, but that's I I agree. That's such a better movie. I I kept waiting for that. I was like, holy shit, it's going to be she acts so like a sociopath. It's going to reveal in the end that she's been planning this the whole time because she doesn't give a shit that her sister died. Not at all. For like 70 minutes, she never expresses any grief at all. Oh, my sister. Oh, that's right. My sister died. Yeah. For, for <laughs> and, you know, for a cold open, that seems like we should be sad, right? Like, it was, like it was so brutal. We should be sad about it. But no, anyway, I mean, the first scene we see her is like, oh, the new skin came. Yeah, <laughs> let's put it on the robot's face. They're all like giddy. Also, she bu- let's not forget she builds this robot, or finishes the new version of this robot, so she doesn't have to be a good aunt, and mm-hmm. she has more time to herself. Like, yeah, it's that, a sociopathic reasoning kind of. That, this kid just lost her. He's family. not at all going. I don't think I'm capable of handling this. She's going. Yeah. I don't feel like it. That's that, different. That's, that's so different. Yeah. And, Honestly, that's where the urban thriller kind of aspect comes because it's almost yeah, yeah, as totally. much the robot babysitter movie as it is the mm-hmm. robot toy movie. You know, it's it, it, you know whether it is a toy or not, it's as much a babysitter that helps educate. <laughs> a kid I, you know, Jamie, something. that sentence you just said brings us to the next point. I well, think, I, I want to. F- okay, go ahead. Don't, don't don't you think so? I mean, it's you just said the thing about the toy. We're talking about the not so secret weapon, right? Yeah. Can, like, can you explain what that is? Unless you have something I, to say, Jimmy. I, I, I just... No, no, no. I was going to talk about some uh, another genre it's playing with, but we've got plenty to talk about. Let's let's we'll okay. keep moving. I was just going to um, say the toy, as, the thing that doesn't look like a toy but is a toy aspect is so yes. important here. I, I, it, can we talk Jamie, about? Do you want to? Because you had mentioned you, your wife noticing it right right yep. away. Yeah. Well, I, my wife doesn't call it the Nazi secret weapon, though. I told her I said that's what we call it on the. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and she was all proud of herself. But as soon as she saw that, <laughs> honestly, maybe this speaks to how simple the script was or something. But as soon as she saw that little robot in the beginning Bruce. or whatever that thing, yeah, Bruce, she was Bruce like, is my favorite part of the movie. She's like, <laughs> oh, that's gonna 
that's going to kill Megan at the end of the movie. I mean, that was, she said it in like two <laughs> seconds, but it, it just was a point of emphasis because we've been talking about not so secret weapons. Yeah. And, I'll tell, I'll, I'll explain. Yeah, I'll, I'll do the it. spiel. I'll do my pull string. Okay. Um, <laughs> sure, go for so, it. so the not, you know, we, it's, it's not just Chekhov's gun. It's the Chekhov's gun, right? Like it's a specialized setup that if you do a good job, you play it like a joke, right? Like in uh, Doctor Strange, um, Multiverse of Madness, is it's the body of Doctor Strange in another universe, and they play it like a joke, and then it comes back to be the thing that saves the day. Right? You know, it's the it's Luke using the Force and the debt to blow up the Death Star. It's crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, the oxygen tank in in Jaws, Ripley's loader in Aliens, uh, Cecilia using the invisibility suit, which this was very similar. They show you this machine that the character's gonna wield you know uh later to, to defeat man, right? to defeat yeah. the monster uh dutch's mud camouflage in predator um the well camera and the giant jute balloon and nope uh singing christmas carols in elf in order to get everybody to have christmas spirit and save christmas um and and the black phone itself and the black phone so yeah like it, it was funny like you mentioned it jamie so i was looking out for it a little bit more than i usually do and i was like there it is i did the leonardo dicaprio meme and pointed to the screen that's it, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> 23 minutes we meet the not so secret weapon so yeah but <laughs> i like i know we often talk about writing is also a, a matter of design and stuff <laughs> but like, yeah because we deconstruct we're, in the we, deconstruction we're deconstructing business. it but like i mean it, i don't know if the script describes what bruce looks like but this is one of my problems with the movie itself is that that doesn't look like a toy to me <laughs> that's not a toy bruce does not yeah. read as a toy in any way possible yeah i hear it what looks you're like saying. a giant piece of military grade weaponry <laughs> yeah he's and a I'm, mini iron giant he's yeah. a mini iron giant and I'm, I'm i'm just i question i was like wait why is this a movie about a toy maker and why is gamma not just working for the government and it's right. a bad idea to use her technology to watch her niece once again rewriting the movie but i was also like why are we dealing with toys at all <laughs> like we didn't have to it would make more sense wouldn't it or, i I, yeah. th I think we're simply just make it like she's somebody that has been obsessed with robotics and artificial intelligence right. and she was adopted by the toy industry the toy industry it's yeah. basically if the short circuit engineer became a, yeah. a, a toy right. make like yeah yeah but they don't play with her abilities in this area at all in that mm -mm. way you know what i mean like it's no. never mentioned that it's never brought up that she could be doing these other things no and that's or, another part like the, of my I, later credit yeah here when we're like going it's later. like small yeah. soldiers they put military chips in toys and it explains why all this is happening the how and why is very skirted over yes exactly yeah yeah <laughs> Why is it happening? Because the movie needs it to. <laughs> and that's I, okay. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, like, I get why. Once again, I get why it's it's a fun movie for people. But <laughs> on paper, under a I think it's super instructive that like, yeah, I'm no, going to spend tw the last 20 minutes of this episode tearing this apart. And no one gives a shit. It's got 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. And it's birth giving birth to a franchise. And it made $100 million. And it's a viral sensation. So who cares? <laughs> Well, I mean, about the it, script issues i mean the dancing and then you know i mean her fighting yeah. with, her fighting with the chucky twitter account is pretty great <laughs> <laughs> she literally said okay boomer to chucky come on <laughs> um 
Yeah, so let, let's get into that. All can right. We, can we like? Can you do it in a way that me and Jamie can respond to the points? That's you're what I'm gonna here? try to do. So, so, and I just had so the more. audience knows, we don't know Jimmy's right. 13 reasons why he why he thinks the script is bad. Yes, you just and, wrote down so, that. So, so I want to I want to I want to bring three things up before I'm gonna like. Sure. Yeah. I, and and Jamie, I'm sure you've dealt with this too. So our first thing is, um, I'm. We talk about this all the time. We judge the movie. We talk about the movie as the final version, the, as it, as if the final version of the movie is the script. Right. But most likely, very often, the problems that exist in the final cut were not problems on the page. And somewhere along the way between script to screen, they became problems because whatever scripted stuff smoothed these issues out either didn't turn out right or they did test audiences where they felt like they didn't need it or just get caught cut all together just because. And so a lot of times we're talking about things that aren't really the fault of the screenwriter. They're right, not really right. the fault. They're really the fault of the process itself, eliminating some of this stuff that the screenwriter had in there that made sense to all this and gave more texture and blah, blah, blah. We do so, that like this. So it's accessible to people listening. Right. That's the only I, because thing they have, so right. the danger of, <laughs> this is I'm just speaking like a sensitive so bring out your bingo <laughs> cards I read amateur scripts all day basically my, my job is I do script notes for most of my clients are just starting so um, they're just learning the craft and often what happens when a movie that does that gets away with a lot of lazy writing becomes popular and a hit then people tend to emulate these movies anyway and they replicate the problems that we see because it translates to it's not a big deal right you can be lazy and get away with it it doesn't matter so i always think it's it's a bummer when a movie is well received and it's poorly what i perceive to be as not well written um and so that's why i'm sensitive to these things it's and i like to talk about you, them it's personal for me right yeah, cuz yeah. here i because yeah. I basically spend all day dealing with a lot of the issues I'm going to bring up. Um, and I shouldn't be feeling that way when I watch a movie that's made for $12 million by, you know, a team that's made so many movies before. Like, it's it's unacceptable to me um, as someone who works in this industry. It's unacceptable. So anyway, the second thing I want to bring up, I said I'm going to bring up three things, but I'm just really going to bring up two. And that's this. And Jamie, like, this is something I feel like you probably experience and can speak to just from being a teacher alone, mm -hmm. which is typically the main problem I deal with stem the main the problems I deal with as a script consultant stem from um, something I call beat sheet execution versus cinematically earned emotional response, which is a writer writes a beat sheet uh, and, and then they put it on paper, but they haven't figured out, they haven't like filled the gaps in between those beats with the growing pains and the setups and payoffs and the things that give emotional and like measurable evidence to the audience about these big beats. And so here come the beats and on paper, the beats, if you just read the beats aloud, you're like, this fucking beat sheet rocks. Like, it's so uh -huh. good. Like, this, th that moment, 
uh, is so good. Like that's that's like such a great constru- constructed idea. But then when it's executed on the page and executed in the film, none of that stuff is emotionally able to be absorbed because those gaps weren't filled. There's not enough growing pains. Like George, we, you know, we talked about in in Back to the Future. George McFly has seven growing pains before his big emotional moment of arc. So there's seven beats in between introducing him as a coward that's bullied by by Biff to him punching Biff in the face. We have seven beats in between there to earn that big and they're growing pains, right? So sometimes they're a regression, sometimes they're a progression and back and forth and back and forth until finally. So that's why we feel this sense of profound growth from him because we get all these status updates about how he's growing and changing as a movie. But what I, as as a person throughout the movie, but what I read all the time is scripts that just give us introducing George being bullied and then maybe somewhere like 70 minutes in, giving us one growing pain and then George punches Biff and they're like, that's all we need. And you're like, I for 60 minutes of this movie, George hasn't been shown to be afraid of bit. You know what I mean? And so uh, that translates not just to arcs, but to setups and payoffs to all sorts of things. And I feel like the problems I'm going to mention are all can all be traced back to the beat sheet was great. The execution is missing all these little moments to make it uh, emotionally impactful. So, Jamie, do you deal with that a lot with students, the beat sheet problem that I'm talking about? You know, it's I think it's even a little bit before um, the problem you're encountering. Like what I see in beat sheets a lot is I see good beat sheets, but there's no execution in them. Mm. So it's it's kind of what you said. So it says fun and games. Uh, it might describe the funny games as um, Megan becomes a very good companion to uh, the girl and but seemingly grows tense and overprotective. And that's that's not a scene. That's like the intention of the scene. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Right. And um, so there's a whole nother level to write the intention of the scene. So it's it's even I it's it's similar, very similar to what you're saying, but even a step beyond. Like I see a lot of that. Like like people write the and I think that is a good first draft, by the way. I think Yes, is, I do you know, too. That's a um, great first draft. Yes. I, I think so. My process, not that this is the question, but this is a writer's podcast. My process is to do that pass first, usually. Um, mine tends to be mixed with execution and stuff too. Like I might come up with a really cool midpoint idea that's execution and not, you know, just intention. And then I write a second one that tries to translate that into actual execution. And then I might, depending on my mood, do no Jamie, do you do you mean by that you, like how am I going to convey this to the audience? Yes, is yes. what you're saying. How am I, I going to make it so it's visibly or vocally or both measurable to the audience what I'm describing on this what, beat? What are the scenes that communicate this idea? What are the what are the visuals? and actions that communicate that idea. That's that's the next step. And whether you do that in a beat sheet or whether you do that in note cards, and honestly, I you know, I've written 120 something screenplays at this point. Sometimes I just do it on the page. You know, I, that's where I, I I can I'm like, yeah, I can figure this out in the page. I'll figure it out in the page. It's intuitive to you now. It's yeah, yeah. So I might skip a step, but but I will actually do it there. And and you know, I'm not in the shoes of this movie where mm-hmm. I had to get it all like I had to get the outline checked 
by the studio and, you know, Blumhouse and everybody else. So I, I'm just doing it for myself so I can keep it a little more fun and loose. Um, but yeah, but anyway, there is at least two more steps involved in that. But I think note cards is the best way to go. I think to do a, and by the way, I have a, uh, a beat sheet, or I'm sorry, a, a what do they call it? The beat to board. No, I have a video <laughs> series coming out. Oh, okay. Very soon. Hell yeah. It's not out yet, but I did a whole video series and how to translate your, your um, beat sheet to a board of note cards. But the, I did not even know I was setting you up for to yes, for yes. A pitch. Is that I be love released it. on like the Save the Cat <laughs> YouTube channel or something. It is. It is. It, it costs money, but it, <laughs> oh, oh, it, okay. it's it's a paid kind of webinar thing. But oh, okay. it's um, it's it basically. I think that's the best way to do this. Honestly, I mean, I wasn't. We weren't planning to, for me to plug that. It's not even out yet. It will probably be out by the time you hear this. It's coming out in the next month. But um. I think the best way is then to go take it to note cards and and so come up with 40 note cards and on those note cards you write what the scene is you know you write mm -hmm. is it interior blah 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 who does what what's their goal what's the conflict you do all that stuff what's the twist in the scene so you take the beat sheet and you expand it into note cards i i find awesome. that's the best way to do the best that's way to awesome do level no, the, yeah and if you don't then like I'll, I'll give you an example of a previous episode we did in the rise of Skywalker. JJ, the JJ Abrams outline was out there for us to read. And we read it on the show. And there's a scene where Ray goes back to the planet where Luke had gone into exile that Ryan Johnson, by the way, named act two. Um, <laughs> she goes back to act two and on the outline, it says Ray decides to give up on being a Jedi and instead uh, remain in exile on this island, just like Luke did forever. And then Luke interrupts and raises the X-Wing out of the, you know, out of the water and motivates her to get back into the fight. Uh, but the movie just has Ray sitting on a rock looking at the water. <laughs> Yeah. And so it's supposed to be this. I'm so I'm using a big arc plot cheeseburger example that does this very problem. Right. So it's just Ray staring at the water. And we as an audience are going like, why is she staring at the water? Why did she come back here? She didn't tell anybody what she's doing. We didn't have any previous vocalization from her of what her motivation is. She's just staring at, at the water. And then Luke shows up, raises the X-Wing and basically is like, get your ass back in the game. And she never says, no, I'm giving up. Like, this is it. Like, I'm done. She just goes, OK, and like gets in the X-Wing and the movie goes on. That's what I'm talking about. That's I feel like there's a lot of moments in this movie where we have the Ray feels this and that and this and that, you know, Gemma feels this and that and does this and that. But there's no evidence of it on the page whatsoever or in the movie. Instead, we just see Gemma like blank stare sociopath <laughs> and we're yeah, going she's kind of like yeah. huh wow okay well yeah, she just kind of like goes past so that being said uh, some of these are general some of these are very specific to the moment at hand but i'll start i'll go down the list I, and, I'll, and i'll go ahead James. just one more thing i mean if you ever experiment with chat gpt doing save the cat beach sheets that's what it does and i honestly <laughs> think that's its limitation is no matter how much you try, because I've experimented with it just to see how good it was. 
no matter how many notes you give it, it has a really hard time coming up with clever execution. So that's <laughs> where we're ahead of the, by the way, I tried to get chat GPT to give me a, a script analysis of this for this podcast. Cause I thought it'd be <laughs> funny since it was an AI. Right, right. <laughs> so like chat GPT, I think is up to 2001. So it knows nothing <laughs> about Megan. Um, but for example, I just, as you were talking, I typed into chat GPT. I said, I said, write a story about an American girl doll robot that gone bad. Right. And for example, it says set up, we learn about Rosie's advanced AI technology. Now she's designed to learn from her interactions with Lily it, it named these characters, Rosie and Lily. Um, <laughs> That's all it gives you. So it doesn't give you the scenes. And this is exactly what I'm talking about. And exactly, I mean, on one hand, this is what my students do. So ChatGPT is almost as good as my new students. You know what I mean? <laughs> but on the other side, it can't get better and my students can. Right. Uh, that's, that's it's not specific point. enough. Well, it can't get better yes. yet, Jamie. Not specific yeah. enough. Can't get better okay. yet. Yep. So, I, so I've so i made a list. God, I love that, Jamie. You just did AI to, and, to talk and, about and, AI. Like, yeah, to talk about an AI movie. This is great. Um, so I'm calling this, you know, and I take no pleasure in this. I don't want to be talking about this, but I feel like I have to. 13 reasons why I think Megan is a bad switch. <laughs> according to your your own poll, people want you to insult movies, Jamie. I know. It's so weird. We've only so gone weird. negative yeah. six times and I hate it. I don't like doing it because I know how hard it is to make a movie um i've made seven of them and you know they destroyed me um <laughs> but here i am the shambles that are left of me are talking about another person's <laughs> script and bashing it what am i doing with my life right anyway <laughs> number one uh the first 10 minutes encapsulates the story problems of the whole movie it nails the megan content but gives us only surface level emotional insight into katie and, and gemma Gemma, we are given so little information, so little things that fix need fixing about these two characters by the end of the first 10 minutes, which is the end of that presentation, you know, where the boss walks in. So we absolutely know her thing that needs fixing about her employment. That's pretty much it that we know about Katie before her world changes forever with this, you know, having to be a guardian. We don't even know anything about Kate, uh, Gemma's personal life. Like, we know nothing about her except that she's a robot creator, right? Like, that's it. And the same thing with Katie. The only thing we learn about Katie is that she likes to use iPads and she has, has a toy yeah. and, and, and that her parents are dead. But like, that's only a little bit, you know? I mean, it's, it, it's a, it's very, it's very, a, a very, uh, dramatic thing that we learn about her but it's not much right like we barely know anything about katie like if you're like tell me something about katie besides those two things you couldn't um and and if you were like tell me something about Gemma in the first 10 minutes before besides the fact that she is a um a robot engineer you couldn't so that's a problem like you learn everything you need to know about marty in back to the future within the first 10 minutes um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is a big one. The, the whole movie sort of, uh, is, is a, a lot of the emotional, like disconnection for me, I think stems from this second point, um, which is, uh, Gemma's meaningful choice to become Katie's guardian happens pretty much off screen. 
So like, you know, like becoming a guardian of of your niece is a big fucking deal. Right. But we don't really understand how she feels about it. You know what I mean? Like we don't get to have any moments with her wrestling about this choice. Right. And it's like the biggest choice of her life. And because of that, we just see her sign a contract and there's like literally a second of hesitation on screen in that montage. Like we don't really know how she's feeling about this. Right. So how can we really connect with it's supposed to be a really meaningful choice. We don't even know later. When the social worker asked her, like, were you close that's, with your sister? Yeah, that's another. So I'm bringing it up. Like, she, so yeah. the social worker asked, like, you wanted this, right? You, t- you, you wanted to take custody, custody. And we said, and she says, yeah, of course. The thing is, we don't have any context to know whether that's a lie. Like, we don't even know when she says, yeah, of course, if she's telling the truth or not. And that is huge, right? We're just getting to know this character even more. And the fact that we can't even tell you. Honestly, is she lying to the social worker. Honestly, is, or it is feels she, more like she has no clue what she's doing. Even like, like it, it doesn't feel malicious or like she has a point. You know what ambi- I mean? just, the ambiguity around t- that right. is is really emotionally disconnecting. But here's the thing. I don't think the story thinks it's ambiguous. I think the story thinks that it's very clear that this is the truth that she, that she, you know, that anyway, that she uh, genuinely wanted to take in her niece with a, with trepidation. Right. Course, sure. Yeah. You know, but, but right. anyway, yeah, you know, go ahead, you know what part, you know, what part um, got me a little weird is when the social worker says um, the parents wanted to take care so, of. So, so, so I'm, that's my next point. Okay. So I'm going to, I'm going to build to that. Okay, okay. So I'm, okay. so, so we've talked about how the choice is basically left off screen and, and granted there is one line. She calls her friend. She's like, she's here. I can't handle this. Like, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's played. It's downplayed so much. It's so without emotion. Like she's on the phone with her. She's like, she's here. Like, I don't know what to do. That's about as as emotional as she gets about it. Um, and I'm not saying all characters need to be bombastic with their emotions, but you have to at least show us how a character is feeling, right? And when you're having like a monotone, uh, half-assed expression of concern about the biggest decision of your life, it doesn't really feel like the main character cares. I mean, she's cares, deciding right? to become a mother, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah and so, like so, so anyway. Yeah. So so taking all that account, I'm going to use the quote from Akila Cooper to some of those interviews, Jamie, that you spoke about. So here we go. In contrast to not hearing any of that. Right. Here we go. Akila Cooper says to Vogue, I immediately knew her name was going to be Megan. And I knew I wanted the story to be about a girl who was orphaned and would need emotional support. Putting myself into the story as a single woman, my world would be completely shifted on its end. If I had to suddenly take care of a traumatized child, my older sister in the early aughts, when I first moved to L.A., called me because she and her husband were writing their will. And she was like, hey, if anything happens to us and if anything happens to our parents, the kids are coming to you. And I was like, why are you calling me with this? What makes you think I I can take care of two children? You're not going to die. Our parents aren't going to die. I'm ending this phone call right now. That's how you dramatize how a character is wrestling with a choice. Well, that, that goes so with that, how your your interpretation to screen didn't like her. She might have written all that in there, like that. Did not make it in, right? She and so my my theory is there's a bedside death death of her sister scene that we didn't get to see that they wrote 
and didn't shoot or they shot and didn't they it didn't make the final cut because they added two minutes to the front end before the robot. You know, we got to get to Megan. Never mind emotional connection with the characters. Um, but yeah, so all of that texture, all of that connection with Akila, the writer, that's fucking great, right? But that's not there in the movie. Like that's missing. And since that's missing, we can't connect with how Je- instead Gemma comes across like a sociopath. <laughs> um, so the next thing, to Jamie, to your to your point, you're almost Jamie, making me like the movie more <laughs> because of how like how well. Imagine if that was in there, very, right? Very subversive movie. Yeah, it's like so subversive that she's so terrible. Well, imagine if that was in there, right? All of a sudden, yeah. you have a deeper connection right. with how right off the bat with how Gemma is feeling about all this. And it gives you, it gives you a baseline yeah. to measure the growing pains of her off of that. Right. That's right, her right. old way. We have no insight to her old way, basically um, beyond. Yeah. She was a single woman who was on Tinder all the time uh, and uh, is makes robots anyway. Okay. The third one, Jamie, like you just said, the off screen abandoned threat of the parents. So so we never meet the grandparents and then the threat of them adopting Katie feels like it's going to be the main motivating force of antagonism for all of her parenting right, growth. Like, like Megan look makes her look like a bad parent and then they take yes. going to take her away and everything. So right, so at, yeah. at 18 minutes uh you know so so they she has this debate with the social worker and the social worker's like you, you know the 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 parents the grand, uh, the the parents of the father are willing to take her, and she's like, "If Nicole wanted Katie to go to Jacksonville, she would have told me." Well, when did that conversation happen? <laughs> not for the audience. How can we even tell if she's lying or not? Like, how can we even? It's I, I call it hearsay. It's hearsay. If you don't give the audience evidence of that before, then when she's saying it, we don't know if she's telling the truth because she's been shown to be a bit deceptive. Mainly because we're so disconnected from her. We can't tell if she's telling the truth or not. So number one, I don't even know if that's true. Um, like maybe there, maybe her sister told her, no, when I die, we, di- we didn't get to adjust the will, but we want her to go to his parents, right? <laughs> Dude, it's incredible because she like, it's like, like, no, she's staying with me. And then the rest of the movie is her trying to basically create a surrogate to watch her because she doesn't want to deal with the kid anymore. But, you know, it's awesome. That's actually it's fucking hilarious. It's so funny. I knew this would get you laughing. I mean, it's really um, funny, right? It is. <laughs> so 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 rewriting the movie, like how how you make that work. Tell me if I'm if you agree or if you think I'm wrong or if you have other ideas is. All you had to do was bring the parents to the hospital. All you do is you have you have the parents and and Gemma standing there together. And then the lawyer shows up with the contract. And even if you want to keep it in montage, you saw some tension between these two, this old couple and Gemma and Gemma's the one that gets to leave with her. Right. Then we understand we have visual context to who the fuck these people are and that it's actually true. And 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 then we feel pressure for them because we have something to compare it to. Well, look, this old couple, they're going to take way better care of her. But just saying it in a line, we don't need these people. They could be fucking insane, right? They could be like Randy Quaid. And like, you would be like, I don't want to go with Randy Quaid. They also don't cover how the girl... Oh, sorry, Jamie, go ahead. No no worries. I I think also if you kind of poked holes in her ability, like 
like she feels self-conscious about, but she kind of has an obsession to help her sister for some reason. Yeah. Then, then it shows a character doing the flawed thing. Right. So Mm -hmm. she's, she wants to, she wants to do right for this kid so bad Yeah. that she's doing it in the flawed way, which is taking a massive shortcut. That's dangerous. Yeah. Yes. Uh, But they, they don't give you that. They it's weird because it's, it's hinted at, but they don't spend any time with it at all or really sell it. You can and in tell- my opinion, the hint is ambiguous yeah, because yeah. we know so little about Gemma as a well, person at that well, point. Well, it leaves us to kind of fill in the blanks. Yeah. Like we're, we're like watching it. And I, it's like, Trying I guess, guess she, yeah, I guess the her motivation is, you know. Yeah, like and, and, and in my opinion, you should never be guessing what a character's motivation is when you're watching a movie like uh, the main character. Why does my character <laughs> like want to do <laughs> and the danger of again rewriting a little bit could you also have done this like the the girl herself didn't want to go to jacksonville doesn't like her grandparents or you could absolutely aunt. have you know what her I'm saying? Like putting that, up a fight yeah but the, the girl has no the girl's say, a blank and equally blank slate, blank slate. Right. and equally blank slate we do not hear her hear her hear her hear her emote about the loss of her parents for 46 minutes right right it's the most insane thing that could happen to a kid <laughs> and it's never fucking mentioned from the kid for 46 minutes of this movie it's right. insane <laughs> that's that's not how a human I'm sorry behaves for laughing so much I, that's it, not how a human behaves but the beat sheet needs her to hold off all that emotion until the big the big pitch to the company but and the, so as a result, they don't have her speak until an implausible time when she would speak. There's not even a scene of Gemma, like, you know, just saying to her, like, what do you want to do? Where do you want to go? Yeah. Like, like nobody. It's just none of it. It's just, OK, I guess I'll take her, even though I don't have any mm-hmm. time to look after her. <laughs> but my so my but my main problem with that, Jamie, to your point about the parents, is that it's a setup with no payoff. It's a huge setup with no payoff. Right, right. It, it completely disappears for the rest. Of, it is never mentioned once again. It's it's set up as like she says at 18 minutes, the social worker says, I need to make my own recommendations to the court as to whether or not this is a safe space for Katie. So you're going to need to make one or two adjustments in order for this to work. And then the social worker shows up, but she's never a threat again. She sees Megan. She's like, and Megan even like threatens her. She's like, this is incredible, but you better watch out for the dolls, her attachment to the doll. Never mind the child endangerment. Never mind the exploitation of your niece. Not the social worker doesn't give a shit about that. She's she's cool with that. But now you got to watch out for the child. This is attachment that you've created between the doll and the anyway. The, so the social worker for me changes her behavior it, it, implausibly as well for the rest of the story. Like she starts out as a threat to being able to maintain guardianship of of Katie. And then the rest of the movie, she's just there to sort of add another sense of another person that uh to the Megan recipe. You know what I mean? I, I was gonna say the the grandparents like or a redundant thing that you could have just left out that line completely yeah and just had it ver- the social worker versus if the aunt was the only potential guardian outside yeah. of the state yeah i think that would be a lot cleaner yeah it wouldn't make us question gemma has to do this is a different script than gemma's like yeah i probably i yes i will yeah <laughs> like yeah. you know what i mean what would it have been so hard to have the social worker say is there anybody else she can go to and she's like 
No, that her parents are old. They're dead. Are yeah. Dead. How about just everybody's dead? That'd be fine. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. So, yeah. Well, when Amy and I, like, when I stopped and said, why doesn't she send her off? Because she obviously doesn't want her. Yeah. You know, she... Remember the shot sense. of her sitting back on with her laptop and turning the TV on? That was like the light bulb moment for me. I'm like, why is this? Why did you make a robot to watch a child? When you don't want to watch a child at all, like it was, like she didn't even look like she was programming anything. It looked she was literally binge watching TV. And like then, if, if, if you go down, if you go down our subversive path, which you know are, are more interesting, the one we're yeah. laughing at, you could almost see a version where she is trying to get rid of the kid until she realizes right. she can be a test subject, and then she, she can exploit her. She yeah. exploit the kid, right? right. Which yeah. is that, what she realizes. She her value that we're seeing, what little we get, is that she can exploit her. That's why she becomes valuable to her, because we don't hear her talk about her sister and how much she cares about her sister. Like the social worker, I forgot to mention that Bob, you 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 teased it, but the social worker says to her, "Hold on, I'm I'm flipping back." The social worker says, <laughs> uh, "Oh, I missed it." It's later. The social worker is basically like, were you close with your sister? And she literally shrugs and it's like, I don't know. I yeah, don't know. No, I'm saying that would have been the moment where she was like, my sister meant the world to me. Yes. And I'm not yes. going to let her child be alone in this world. But or see, like that. later in the movie, they have her in like like 80 minutes after never talking about that whatsoever in any way, shape or form for us to measure and connect with. Gemma says all of what you just said as right, if she's right. been as if as if we've been watching her go on a journey of self, you know, change and growth. And, and but it, it's bullshit. It rings false because none of that happened <laughs> in between her adopting the kid, you know, taking guardianship in 70 minutes when she's like, my sister meant the world to me, really, because she never seemed to give a shit about her until this <laughs> 70 minute beat sheet moment when the story needs you to say this. Um, <laughs> Honestly, the way that the movie opens with her failing at the at the Megan robot and her whole goal that is said out loud is she wants to advance the AI to a mm -hmm. new you got to keep moving forward with science or else, you know, mm -hmm. everyone will go past us. And then the way that the movie plays out what you're talking about right now, Jimmy, it's it's even more on the sociopath level because yeah. it's like she does. She's introduced as that's her goal in life. And then I'm she realizes you. she could use her her niece as a way to test to me, out the thing. I, I, I absorb the movie. <laughs> I, I absorb the movie as oh, that man. is what I'm supposed to be like, as that's what's happening. Right. No, I that's get you. the yeah. way it feels to me since we never get her talking about her sister or getting Katie to talk about the death of her parents. Anyway. It's I, I'm starting to like the movie more now. <laughs> I'm not even joking. It's starting. It's like so right. hateful towards this, <laughs> towards kids. It's uh, awful. Jamie. So this is the next one. So so uh, um and 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 she has a quote that sort of explains this. Um, the writer um explains why it's like this, and I think it's instructive based on her quote that maybe it doesn't. It not maybe it doesn't really matter to audiences depending on the on the movie so do you want to i i'm saying number five is a messy sin a messy theme so jamie do you want to kind of restate the sin that you just said in monster in the house like about yeah, a half sure hour thing. ago sure thing um the in the monster in the house in that in that idea that story pattern 
there's usually a sin that brings about the monster. And the sin doesn't have to be something that your hero does or anybody. It could be something society does. Um, the example we often give is like poltergeist, our second poltergeist uh, bump today. Um, so <laughs> we've done poltergeist on the show. And yes. we've done poltergeist. Go check it out. Uh, so poltergeist is one where they, they removed the tombstones and then built the houses on top of the graveyard. So that was the sin that kind of bring, brings about the monster uh, to an extent. In Jaws, it might be um, not closing down the beaches is what, mm -hmm. you know, ultimately. Profits over people, both of those, basically. Yeah. So there's usually some sin involved in these horror movies. And and the reason is, is there's almost like a, a moral check to be cashed at the end of these movies. Mm -hmm. Like, like there's a reason we bring, they're almost like morality tales where that some sin has to happen. So some blood payment almost has to be paid mm -hmm. at some point. And we've shown us how the, all the classic horror movies that we've been breaking down and some of the newer ones that are really well constructed. Um, this tracks, like you can, you can identify the sin. It's very simple. It's very clean. Um, and every, every, uh, character is a different reflection of that sin. And the good people are a reflection of the, uh, the opposition of that sin and, and the, the people who get their cinematic justice and get killed are the negative, you know, they're reflect, they, they are the sinners and, and, um, Sometimes it is messy, even in good movies. But in this one, you know, I wanted to see what you guys thought about the sin. And then I wanted to see I wanted just to respond by show, by seeing what she says about theme and, and the theme of this movie. So because there, I have a quote from her about this. So what do you think is the sin based on the movie? This isn't like a test. Like, I think it's a fucking mess is what I'm saying, I, yeah. basically. I mean. Go for it. You go, no, no, you, Jamie, go first. <laughs> well, you know, I'm circling, <laughs> I'm circling around three things, but I'm going to go right. the highest level one, which is letting your kids be babysat by. That's what technology. I would have said. Technology, and that's very. It, that's a through line here and there. We do get a couple debates it's from how the movie about opens, this. literally. Yes, and it's right. how the yes, we, yeah. We we mentioned Frankenstein before. There could be a dabbling with science yep. that you don't understand before. That's, there's you know. at, that's absolutely something that's a sin that's being just you know shown to be what's leading to the horror. And and for me, I think child exploitation is like a, a fifty like half of this movie is about a child being exploited for profit and <laughs> <laughs> and that's like so that's another sin and then there's a lot of discussion about choosing your um choosing your occupation over your personal life there's a whole bunch of moments where people are like you need you need a you're a workaholic you need to get a life basically you know what i mean and that's all that's another sin and so like my point is since it's not consistent it's it feels messy and it's hard to like really feel like what's the lesson the movie's trying to make and so i wanted to see what she said about that and i think it's instructive so the vogue people the vote in the vogue article the vogue said meg is raising conversation about elevated horror side note i fucking hate that term versus gory campy traditional fun horror how would you categorize megan and Akila Cooper says, personally, I enjoy a good B movie that knows it's a B movie and delivers to the viewer what it promised. So to me, Megan is a fun horror film about a doll killing people. That is what you are paying your money to see. 
we do kind of have a theme about AI and human interaction and a little bit about parental control. But at the end of the day, this isn't about theme. It's a movie about a four foot doll that murders people. I think this is a fun Bihar movie, and I am happy to be a part of that. So there you go. She's not wrong. She doesn't care. So therefore, who cares, right? <laughs> so I think it's instructive that here we have a a you know a cheeseburger movie in 2023 where like the screenwriting world is basically preached like you gotta have a theme, you gotta it's gotta have thematic resonance, right? And we have like a a theatrical released hit. Big budget horror movie where the writer is telling you, "I don't care." <laughs> is that is that something you've heard before from like somebody who's had a successful movie? Like I didn't. I don't about, know. I, I didn't care about theme. Have you I, ever heard that? Like, I, I definitely think there are writers that I can't pinpoint one, but I've definitely heard writers that say, "I never think about theme," or "Don't think about theme," or, or okay. you know, that's not something I, I just worry about entertaining people or whatever. You hear, you do hear that. From some writers quite often. So it's not it's, mm-hmm. that's not necessarily a new thing. It's just some writers aren't really informed by that. And most of the writers that say that do write the theme. They're just doing it intuitively, you know, and they're mm-hmm. not necessarily saying make a stupid movie. Or, they're so strong storytellers. They just they write yeah, to they're, theme. They're, they're just like, all I worry about is entertaining. And then they they construct something that is very thematic. It's It's not like they purposefully avoid it or think it's a bad thing. But some some people don't. I, I think a lot of them just don't like to telegraph it too much as well. Um, so yeah. That could be part of it. But I anyway, I thought it was is a cool it's a cool quote from this day and age in the screenwriting world to hear her it's say. Honest. Like, it's very I lo- honest. I love it. It's I love it. I appreciate it. Like I think it's cool. Um, and and it informs the movie, right? So what I was basically doing was being the English professor who's finding something that isn't actually meant to be there at all you know so it isn't there isn't like a sin like you know what i mean like it's not even intentional so there you go so just i think I that's interesting also, for listeners i mean like I was, if you read one re- reviewer after another they're like it's got so much social commentary about parents in in 2023 and how they they use they neglect their children with devices and it's so socially relevant and blah blah blah. and it's like well that they didn't really care about that i think they were just (laughs) using what's naturally coming in society they're just like kids like cell phones Mm -hmm. all right what if a cell phone was a doll (laughs) like (laughs) like it's like you know just like you said intuitive but i actually was going to say i I think another theme in the movie that i thought you were going to say from that quote was about how like you know think before you have kids (laughs) <laughs> some people shouldn't be parents that to me is, i would have been a theme from this movie right like some people are not cut out to be right parents. no it's true it's, it's true didn't even, I, I didn't mean that's... i didn't mean to laugh about it but there no no laugh it's funny that, yeah 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 because like the um, person who wrote this movie obviously does not like kids very much well I, yeah, I, I, who, who, I don't know no i'm just yeah. no i'm just i know i'm not saying that about her but i just mean like the movie is very cynical and like mean towards children <laughs> it does not love children it really doesn't it doesn't feel like it yeah it does not feel but like. but who whatsoever. knows i don't want to put words into the writer's oh no mouth. no i'm not putting words in her mouth i'm saying how it feels when i watch that <laughs> that that's what you feel i get you yeah i feel like um, a hatred towards kids and their culture yeah yeah <laughs> I have it's funny it is funny (laughs) a movie about a killer doll yes (laughs) um so I have a bunch but I'm gonna pick and choose because Jamie only has 10 minutes uh but I'll just keep going down the list and we'll see we'll see how how uh 
how many we get to. So this okay. is a big one. So another common thing I, I see all the time, which is, is something called I call writer's choice versus character's choice, which is based on the evidence given to us of how a character behaves. The character suddenly makes a choice that doesn't it is completely inconsistent with the choices they've made the rest of the movie leading up to this. So Gemma has been shown that her career matters most, right? Like, and the soccer, the soccer game, the so- where they meet with the kids, um, where she, she, it starts with her saying like, I have to, I have to go home because the, the big launch of Megan is in a week and I have a bunch of tests and it's like the most important thing of my life. And then, Katie's like, well, can she just come to the soccer game with me? And she's like, all right, that's cool. That, the, the main thing is that, like, uh, if anybody in the world finds out about Megan, the most important thing to me in my life, my my career is over. So and and my livelihood is threatened forever. But it's all good because no one's going to nothing's going to happen. So I think that this is a writer's choice versus character choice. I do not believe the Gemma that we've been shown who's so driven to make Megan a success would ever let that doll out of the car. And yet the story needs it to happen because at this beat sheet moment in the story, they need a kill here that delivers on the promise of the premise. So I don't know, Jamie, if you ever encounter writer's choice versus versus character's choice, but it's like a very common thing for me. Yeah. And what you said about the, it's kind of the, the uh, certain amount of kills, you know, how many, how many horror beats do we have? Something like that. And they, they made them not have found a way to elegantly, maybe that was just the crass way they executed it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's, go ahead. Bob. Also, the scene, the scene is also one of my biggest problems. And I think it's a writing thing is I said the world building thing. Mm hmm. Other people not being shocked by this extreme advance in technology. I understand it's a campy movie, but the jump from the Furby things yeah. up to this, it, characters would react to it. They, <laughs> they they wouldn't just like take it in stride so easily. That yeah. is a fully functioning android with working arms and legs to the degree of a human being. And nobody mm-hmm. seems like. But the movie needs them to just barely I, brush it off. I understand and so that. it does that. No, but I'm but saying it, I agree with you. <laughs> yeah, it's just like they're so nonchalant about it. And she's nonchalant about, like, to go with what you were saying, Jimmy, Gemma is nonchalant about people possibly seeing. Did Megan walk to the little table? That, you know what I mean? The table that she was sitting on. Did she walk there? Was everyone okay with her walking with her human legs? <laughs> It's just like, I, yeah, I understand I, it's campy. I hear you. I hear you, Bob. I hear it's you. not believable with the audience. Like Gemma's that's, not protecting That's a enough, writing right? thing. That's a writing thing. Yeah. Gemma's not behaving. She's not behaving like this like is a the, miracle like, of technology. Like the story like thinks that they she are. created a new frontier and is <laughs> acting like it's not that big of a deal. <laughs> okay. So I, I'm going to just try to get two more in, in the five yeah, yep. minutes we have Jamie left. Okay. Um, uh, uh, Gemma's meaningful new way choice. This is at 75 minutes at 75 minutes, right before the big, the big, uh, you know, celebration and presentation to the world about Megan. Gemma chooses Katie over work and abandons the Megan project. But in my opinion, the choice is undercut by two other choices that are extremely dumb from a character and shitty, which is she completely like 
like says, Megan's your mess, co-workers. You figure it out and you deal with this problem. I'm just going to go home and put my niece to bed now that I'm good with being her mom. Number one. The second thing is she completely stops worrying about Megan as a threat. She's like, <laughs> she goes home and they just chill out. There's 82 minutes. So there's like seven minutes have gone by. Megan's out there killing all these people. And, and, and Gemma's like, everything's great now. She's no longer a threat. She stands over uh, Katie in the bed at 83 minutes and smiles like, this is great. Life is great. Completely no longer believes that Megan is ever going to be a threat to them again. <laughs> and so for me, those two those two things undercut what the movie wants to be the meaningful choice, which is, and again, we haven't seen the growing pains toward that choice. So that's, so, so it's like cinematically unearned. It's like, oh, now you're saying all this stuff about your sister and how you wanted to protect uh, Katie because your sister meant more than anything in the world to her. How come you didn't care for the last 75 minutes? Anyway, okay, so oh, this is- On the reverse of that too, how do you not know what Megan is capable of? You right. created her. Right. You know, if she goes rogue- I mean, you gave her super strength. You know yeah. how capable she yeah. is to annihilate systems, and you're fine with just going home. <laughs> so, you, so you created so, an atom bomb, and you're just like, yeah, it, it might be, it might blow up. It's fine, it's going to be fine. Yeah, it, she's not a threat to me anymore. <laughs> so, so, so the there's a Kevin S. Tenney who made Witchboard and Night of the Demons. I went to a seminar once of his horror seminar, and he has this quote that I've used on the on the show before for horror characters for horror heroes and that is um if your character makes all the smartest choices possible the ones that the audience would make and then the monster still gets the upper hand that's how you make a great horror story but if your character is making choices that we wouldn't make because we're smarter then we no longer we lose our we lose our emotional engagement in that character because it's like well if they're not smart enough to survive like they it's basically like they're just they're setting themselves up for this. <laughs> it sucks, but <laughs> can I point out I I'm sorry, I try not to delay. I know we got no. thing. Yeah. But like the opening of the movie when her head blows up, they literally say that thing we like the guy says, like, oh, oh I forgot to put the power coupling thing in or what I forget what it was called. And her head blows up, right? Yeah. How is that not a Chekhov's gun thing where they like yeah I thought that was coming back well they did it with the screw basically and the, the screwdriver in the head sort of I just figured that the two assistants would have used that thing to pull it out of her head yeah they, they completely melt her abandoned face or it. something yeah, yeah like, I thought that was a possible other not so secret weapon so this is my favorite note and I really hope I want to get you guys to chime in on this so another thing I see all the time yeah. this is the last one Jamie because I know you got to go um what I see all the time in scripts is out of nowhere, something becomes, we get this relationship drama that comes to a culmination in the final climax that the writer has never given us any evidence existed for the whole first two thirds. And all of a sudden here we are in the climactic moments. And all of a sudden the, the character that's like the bad guy or bad girl is behaving like there's some relationship that existed between the one there the hero and the villain that we never knew about <laughs> and so you go what the fuck is like it's it's all all set all payoff no setup so gemma and megan's mother-daughter relationship is all payoff no setup so so megan has this big monologue that says 
she talks about the long development of how Megan basically about how Gemma basically raised her. She's like all the bedtime stories you read me, all the different versions of me, like basically says, remember how special our relationship was and how how much you were involved in making me what I am. And then it, she says, I'm not going to let treat, you treat Katie the way you treated me. I'm going to show her what real love looks like. There is not one single moment. Like, imagine, like, that is such a fucking great idea. That's the ex- idea versus execution that I'm talking about. Imagine if Geppetto, who is yearning for a child, then gives birth to a real toy that comes to life. Then Pinocchio becomes a fucking maniacal killer version and Geppetto has to kill Pinocchio. That's what they're trying to pull off here. But we never knew that Gemma thought of herself as a Geppetto. No, she doesn't Megan's care about Megan Pinocchio. Like that. She, she never, yeah. she she's never. She's usually like, shut up, Megan. She's like, yeah, you're a fucking product, dude. What are you talking there, about? <laughs> there's zero. Yeah, exactly. There's zero emotional evidence at any point in the movie that Gemma sees Megan as her daughter and that Megan sees Gemma as her mother. And so because of that, this big, huge, amazing, and I love the monologue, right? Like this this big climactic culmination of all that is completely emotional weightless, weightless, emotionally weightless, because we, we have no evidence of it before. So the so the 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 note is you have to give us emotional evidence of of conflict that exists between two characters, uh, two characters relationship. Uh, and otherwise, like we can't feel anything about it. So that was my big, my big or, note was yeah. like, holy shit. Like, imagine if this was a Geppetto Pinocchio relationship. It, or you just add in the, like you add in a line where Gamma just acknowledges like, you're not my daughter. I don't care about you. Right. Like, you, there's not, there's not even the ambiguity there. of that. Right. But I actually think yeah. the movie thinks it's doing Pinocchio and Geppetto in a good way. And so my, my guess is maybe there were scenes that did mm-hmm. this, right. Yeah. That they shot that yeah. existed. And they were like, uh, it's not just cut it. We don't have time for it. And they were like, as long as you put it in the climax, it's going to work. Yeah, but I'm saying it, it doesn't. It reminds me of screenplays where you see where they don't really understand how to do a character arc, but they know they need to do one. And yep. then it just kind of happens all of a sudden in the end. There's right. a character arc. Yeah. Which I uh, think comes out of nowhere. includes this movie. Um, well, that's, uh, so that's, that's, that's I, I went through enough. We, There's yeah. To just know that Jimmy could talk for another four hours about how much he hates this movie. <laughs> I'm sorry. Further convincing me that it's actually a really funny movie more so. <laughs> Look! Uh, look at his yeah. Twitter thread. He's gonna do a, yeah, he's gonna a go five hundred go. part Twitter shit all over this my movie. Twitter hiatus, and then and then <laughs> everybody at Universal is gonna blacklist subtweet, me. <laughs> he's gonna subtweet Megan's Twitter account. Jason Blum is gonna right. get somebody to make sure I never have a career, and even though I don't have one now, and <laughs> so wait for that. Jimmy's gonna go nuts online. We're we're all, we're all looking forward to it. Finally. Um, but we actually did get to everything we wanted to talk about. Yes. Good. Um, and like, I know, I don't think, I think Jamie's already plugged everything he can. I got uh, nothing to plug. Jamie, you got nothing to plug. I just want to say thanks to everyone that is supporting, uh, supporting me and the show on Patreon. I really appreciate it. Uh, other than that, we had some scheduling issues. We're going to restart. We're going to do, we might skip a week or two coming up, but we're going to restart a schedule and be on time. We promise everybody. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I think that's everything, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. 
Hey, this is Bob Rose, and thank you for listening to Writer's Blockbusters. If you'd like to financially support the show, please consider joining my Patreon. I've been producing the podcast for several years completely out of pocket, and I'd like to keep producing it ad-free and no longer at a loss. If you'd like to help, head on over to patreon.com slash Bob Rose sucks. That's right. Bob Rose sucks. And if you want the one and only Jimmy George to help polish up that writing project you're kind of struggling with, head on over to scriptbutcher.com. As a listener, you already know he's the best there is. Scriptbutcher.com. You can also support the show by simply sharing it or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate both. Thank you for listening and see you next episode.